a lot of people think that they're the only ones going through some of the things that they're going through with mm-hmm. the children, whether they're boys or girls. That's right. Because yeah. nobody talks about no it. No one talks about it. Everyone wants to talk about the the flowery part of adopting, but no one wants to talk mm-hmm. about the the true challenges that you have with adopting. Because it's yeah. about, I get it, it's about the kids. I, I do. And if they told the truth, a lot of times people wouldn't, People wouldn't even mess with the kids because you mm-hmm. barely, you barely have enough people adopting kids as it is. But but you but, but they, they need it. But definitely. they need it because but in all in all though they are still kids, they are still kids, but they have trauma. Welcome to Through the Eyes of Trauma, an Inner Ear Agency production, where we engage in discussions regarding the impact that childhood trauma has on education life, and living. This podcast seeks to help listeners realize the widespread impact of trauma, recognize how it is impacting the students, adults, and families, respond in a way that facilitates healing, and to actively resist re-traumatization. Join us as we tackle the hard conversations, but give tools and strategies to help you cope and begin your journey towards regulation by healing first and educating always. To receive professional development, consulting, and childhood trauma intervention services, please visit us at innerearagency.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-E-A-R-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. Let's get into the conversation. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Through the Eyes of Trauma with me, Dr. Smith. And today our topic is adopting and adapting to trauma. Our essential question is, what are the challenges that parenting children exposed to trauma bring, and how do you mitigate those challenges? This episode seeks to understand how intentional parents have to be with the level of support that is needed for children exposed to trauma. And today, my guests are John and Cheryl Lewis, who are professionals at the adoption game and who have a lot of experience um, with adopting children and just the the things that come along with adopting children who have been exposed to trauma. So welcome, John and Cheryl Lewis. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having us. Hey, what's going on? We liked it so much we got two of them. Hey, how y'all doing? (laughs) So today I wanted to just to bring y'all on just to talk about the um, not only adopting children who have been exposed to trauma, but just how do you have to adapt your life and just the way that you handle things when you have children exposed to trauma. And so research shows that exposure to trauma changes the very structure of a child's mind. In fact, children's brains are more susceptible to damage because they are developing rapidly during exposure to traumatic experiences. And I know, and we all know that childhood trauma comes in many forms. So first there's a physical, sexual, and emotional abuse um, all of which leave deep scars, but still there's some trauma that begins earlier before birth. So those things that's due to prenatal exposure to alcohol, to drugs, or just the environmental factors. Um, and regardless of the source, trauma impacts kids and the caregivers who love them. And so I know it's a difficult task to try to figure out what the trauma is when you are adopting children because you don't necessarily have all of the ins and outs of what they've been exposed to. So talk to us a little bit about your experience with um, adopting children who have been exposed to trauma and just how you go about navigating those waters. Well, one of the things about um, because kids are being adopted, they've already come, they've already come from some type of trauma anyway. Mm -hmm. Something's wrong with the parents. Whether financially, uh, spiritually, uh, mentally, something is wrong with the parents. Uh, you just hope that it's something that you can detect mm-hmm. and that that can be fixed. But most of the time, it's not. And when you get the kids, the the great thing about uh, parenting uh, uh, adopted kids is, man, when you get them, you it's like a box of chocolates. You really don't know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. You can pour all the love into them that you want to, but man, you just really don't. You just don't know what you get because the school is liable to call at any time and say. Uh, Mr. Lewis, because you know it's funny. My uh, my son, my oldest son, we adopted two kids. I think uh, three years apart. My oldest son, when he was, I want to say he might have been in the first or second grade. They they called me so much. To first it was Mr. Lewis, then it was John, then it was Hey man, you got to come up here and do something about this boy because he mm-hmm. literally. 
he literally was in trouble all the time doing something, trying to express himself. Mm-hmm. And we kept we, and we kept trying to figure out where is this coming from? Where is this need to belong coming from? You know, it's funny. It's with adopted kids, they should come with a counselor or somebody you can uh, you can mm-hmm. you can call on. Because Dr. Selena has been pivotal because she immediately was pointed out a lot of the stuff that we were going through because we had no clue. We thought if we just showered them with love and gave them what we thought we needed when we were younger, and see, that's key. Mm-hmm. We gave them what we thought we needed when we were younger, and it, and and we struck out and missed with that one. I think you have to understand, too, that these were not children that were adopted when they were babies. Mm-hmm. We, had children, we uh, adopted children who were, at the time, six and three. So they were already in the CPS system. So we adopt, when you adopt kids who are from the system, you already know that there's been some kind of trauma. Mm-hmm. That they've already kind of learned some behaviors because during that age, they're like sponges from the, I believe, mm-hmm. they say from the ages of three to six. Mm-hmm. They say that children record everything that they've seen up until the age of six. And from six on, they're acting out basically everything that they've recorded. Exactly. So I think it's it's important to know that they were adopted um, during at, at that age, mm-hmm. and so we expected. Of course, when when you're adopting kids, you know you go through this thing of how um, they always ask you these questions. Um, you know, what are you as a parent able to tolerate? Are you going to be one of those people that tolerate children who are uh, moderate mm-hmm. in behavior? Or do you want children without the behavior? So we, thinking because of John being a, a military man and being a, a dominant figure in the house, that we will be able to handle children who were uh, between moderate, I mean, between non-issues mm-hmm. and moderate. Mm-hmm. And so um, when we have these children... Um, there were, of course, there were challenges that came with them because we had to learn them. We had to go through the the honeymoon phase of which everybody is nice and cordial to everybody until you're tired of being nice and cordial and then, then the real you come out. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Well, <clears throat> I think it's funny because we, we call it the honeymoon stage, but it's about, it is like a marriage. It's more like a marriage than what you think. Yes. Because once you say I do and I will and the judge uh, gives them to you, I think that first of all, the kids are kind of in shock because they're going through changing. And and the misconception about adoption is the kids. I remember the kids. Uh, people automatically think the kids want to be adopted. First of all, that they, they couldn't be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. They don't want to be adopted. They've gotten comfortable living in the environment that they're in, whether they like it or not. They have a comfort level in it. Well, what it, what it's called is is that's what they understand as their love or whatever, even though it's not love because of whatever the neglect, whether it was neglect, whether it was abuse, but that's what they knew. Mm-hmm. And so with coming to a new family, they're trying to fight to get back to what they know. So mm-hmm. it's a constant fight, a constant battle to get back to Familiarity. Familiarity. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So uh <laughs> <laughs> she gonna stop and just look at me. Yeah, so uh but yeah it's um uh, it's 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 more like a marriage than what you think though. And and so the like I said, the misconception is they wanna come. And so now you spend the rest of you spend a, a great amount of time trying to convince them that you are the best thing for them. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing like trying to convince kids because you can't really parent them if you're trying to convince them that, hey, this is the best thing for you. Me mm-hmm. telling you no, me adding structure and discipline is the best thing for you. That is the most difficult thing you can do with a child because you want him to pick you, per se, if he has to pick. But you also want to parent him at the same time. And that really makes it difficult. That really, really makes it difficult. Absolutely. You know, what you're saying there is that you want them to trust you. And it's hard trying to get them to trust you that you have their best interest at heart. 
That's real. So let's talk about how trauma affects parenting, right? Children exposed to trauma can be a challenge for parents, right? You already know that. Mm -hmm. And truthfully, parenting kids with difficult behaviors often brings out the worst in the caregivers as well. And so in an interview with uh, Creating a Family's Dr. Russell Barkley, who is a professor of psychiatry and pediatrics, and he's an author of Your Defined Child and Taking Charge of ADHD, he pointed out that there are several common characteristics of parents who have been worn down by challenging kids, right? So either their own biological children are challenging or they've adopted children who have been exposed to high doses of trauma and toxic stress. But the things that they found were that they tend to be inconsistent with their reactions to their child's behavior and enforce their rules one day and then give up on it the next. Okay, let me me jump in right there. Mm -hmm. Okay. I get it. But this is the thing. When it, when it comes to adopted kids, you have to always feel like parenting. Right. And Whether see, you feel and, like it see, or not. And see, <laughs> and that's the thing. As parents, we don't often feel like parenting every day. You have to parent them every day. Every day. I want, we got to get this. You have to parent them every day. You can't take days off. Now, now he's talking about parents in general. So some of these parents are parents of adopted children, but there are also some parents who are parents of children who have been exposed to trauma, right? Mm -hmm. That are their own biological children. And Mm -hmm. so there are a lot of times when because of the things that your children are facing or the things that they exhibit when you have get the calls from the school or when you get the calls from somebody saying that your child is acting up, it's like... Like if especially if they've done so much in such a small amount of time, you like, you know what? Today I'm not gonna fool with you. Cause I ain't got time for it. So how does that affect like when you on your best day as a parent, you like, I got it together, you know, I have my plan, my X, Y, and Z, and then it's so much stuff coming at you. How do you deal with that? Well, there's nothing more deflating as a parent number one when when you can't seem to because we got this personal thing where we feel like I'm in control of my life. Everything mm-hmm. is good. Because, you know, our kids are bragging. We want to brag on mm-hmm. them. And literally, when you can't brag on them, it's defeating. It's defeating when you can't get a hold of them to try to get them to do right or like you think they should be doing. It's really, really defeating. And and you have to, there, there are a lot of groups and people that you can talk to. But, man, I, but for the most part, again, I say it's the most defeating thing mm-hmm. that I've ever experienced. Because... You don't know from one day to the next what's going to walk through the door mm-hmm. or how they're going to react to something. See, but that's the thing is knowing that what your plan is is going to possibly be derailed, mm-hmm. or it's going to be derailed because yes, you do have plans for them. The reason why you adopt them in the first place is because you want to give them a better, a better life, a better opportunity than what they may not have had in the first place. Mm-hmm. So what you have planned for them, you can go through and, and you can try to have this grand plan. But with them, that they're going to, if they have this trauma, they're going to try to fight and scratch. They understand what you're trying to do, but they also understand what what it is they already have in their head that they want to do. They want to either get back to what they're familiar to or get back. There, there's always this this tension or this cap on on, or or roof on what you're trying to get them past and they won't get past this this cap well i think i think the i think the easier way to say it is they're trying to make the situation that you have them in they want a familiar situation so they're going to try to buck and kick and scratch Uh to get you to allow them to be the way that they were before they got with you Mm -hmm. Yeah. They no no rules not too many rules or use too much the only this. things that they can control mm-hmm. yes. in order to get you to get them back to where they were like for instance like wet in the bed one of the only things well, one of the biggest things was that was the only thing they could control mm-hmm. well you know I just wet the bed every night even though I know it's wrong but I'll do that every mm-hmm. night if I got to get my way but you know you're not gonna get your way we're just gonna fight through it's gonna just buy more sheets. And and I compare it to kind of like being an educator, right? So when I was a teacher, I had a whole lesson plan planned out. I knew what we were going to do from when I walked into the classroom until when I left. But those kids who I had, which was 
over half the kids, right? Because one in every four children have been exposed to trauma. So more than half of my class had high doses of extreme toxic stress and, and trauma. And so although I had a plan for what I wanted the day to look like and I had my lesson plan together, them and their trauma came in and said, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to run this and this is what we're about to do. And so I had to immediately pivot. But early on in my career, I had no tools, right? So I did not know what to do when when kids approached with with trauma and toxic stress and I'm like okay I have to be consistent in my reaction to their behavior but I have no idea what's about to come so I couldn't be consistent and so it made it to where I had to have a mindset of like how am I going to respond if this I had to have those what ifs if this happens how am I going to respond if this happens how am I going to respond and make it to where it's a way that's conducive to them learning. Because one thing I did learn about children who've been exposed to trauma is that me trying to give them solace and like a, an environment that was quiet and calm is counterproductive because that's not what they used to, right? They're used to foolishness and loudness and, and a whole bunch of stuff. And that's their comfort zone. And so if they're out of their comfort zone, if I make it quiet, that sound, that silence is deafening. Mm -hmm. And it makes them like, oh, if no one else is going to turn up in here today, I'm going to turn up so that I feel some type of familiarity. And so it's those types of things having to adapt to what they're used to but and meet them where they are, but then kind of scaffold them to where you need them to be to say hey this is not what life is about right this is not how life is done we do things decent in order and that I really think that that affects not only teaching students who have been exposed to trauma but parenting right and that's mm -hmm. your that's y'all's charge because y'all had to to deal with something that y'all didn't necessarily know where they were coming from or what background that they have experienced or what things that they've been exposed to. And another thing that he said was that students who have been or children who have been exposed to trauma often drift towards um, doing things to where the parents use extreme discipline with a child often because nothing else has worked and they have reached the end of their rope and so they're like you know what I gotta go to the extreme and so how does that resonate with y'all <laughs> we had to take uh doors off for bedroom doors uh yeah it's a it's, I, I think I think there's nothing there's nothing when you're at your wit's end and you're because most of us I know I consider myself I sure we're old school parents and our parents parented a certain way, and we're trying to parent the ki the kid the adopter the kids that are in trauma a certain way, and it's not working. Listen to me now, it's <laughs> not working. And when it's not working, we revert back to some things that we're not as that we that we may not be as proud of. Or, or go stand in your room, or go stand in the corner, or, or mm -hmm. go do this, or go. I'm gonna take this, or I'm gonna take that. And so, and my thought is always, I'm gonna take something from you. But if well, you, all they but, do is adapt. Let me tell you something. I <laughs> took a door. I took the door off my son's room, and he just moved everything. Rearranged the furniture. The, the, he just rearranged the room to where we couldn't see the on that side. <laughs> and I thought to myself, "You mean to tell me if you got if you let's say you got an eight by ten, you're you're fine with a six by six? He moved that book to a six by six where you couldn't see him. You had to walk in there to see him. Like really, rather than just doing right, you rather adapt. just you just adapt to what you want. Mm. That that's to me, that's the craziest thing. That's but the that's craziest the thing. generation, yeah. And, and then I think that that goes to show, like, he's been put in so many situations where he had to adapt that that's just second nature to him now, you mm -hmm. know? Even though it's not something that he's experienced here with y'all, it's like, this is what I've learned through my childhood. I've been exposed to so much stuff that I had to adapt to make sure it benefited me. And so even though I'm here and I'm in a house where there's loving parents who are making sure that I have everything that I need, if they do something that I don't agree with, I'm just going to adapt just like I did when I was exposed to trauma. That's true. And then another one was they tend to be emotional. So this is talking about the parents, right? The parents tend to be emotional and not infrequently suffering from depression themselves. And so knowing that parenting is hard anyway in general, but parenting children who have been exposed to trauma, does that affect the way you move throughout this world as far as like, the ment your mental health and your anxiety and and depression and things like that. So so, and I'm gonna be as honest as I can. This probably too honest, but it makes you second guess whether or not you should adopt the kids. Mm. If that's as honest as I can be. It makes you say, you know what, huh? 
Oh, if I had known we was going to be up to the school every day, if I had known I was going to have to fight with you, if I had known I was going to have to fight to get you out of school, if the, if the whole, your life turns into a fight with them from the time that they get big and, and most of the kids are bigger than you. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you actually think, man, I don't know, if, I don't know if I would have did this again. I don't know. If there it, are times you keep, I think that you think you that. keep taking them back to the place, and they keep beating you back out to the car when you take them. Because no, no, you got them now. So, do you think that you were like? I know I always say like I didn't sign up for this when I got into education because they didn't prepare me, right? They didn't prepare me to they teach children who were exposed to trauma, and I'm like, y'all done threw me in here with the lines. Then, they do you think that you were prepared? You no. wouldn't adopt them, Selena. If I, Doc, excuse me, Doc Selena, you wouldn't adopt them if you knew all that you were going to have to go through with kid, with Most the with the trauma with not. the kids with trauma. You but but even them. knowing what you know now, do you feel like that you were adequately prepared? So no. like your agencies, no. the the no. systems that you dealt with, the ones that you, you know, you you were able to get your but children I, from, I, do you think they adequately prepared you? For the things that you were going to have because to. they want you to adopt the kids. No, but it's I kid first. They prepare you. They prepare Girl, you, but I you don't need think. To quit that. No, they they <laughs> did prepare us because we had to go through the certain classes, but they did not prepare us enough. Mm-hmm. I think that the preparation so it wasn't was, adequate. Yeah, I don't think it was adequate at all. I think it was just basic. It's like you have the basic training of. This is some of the stuff you might go through and, and whatever, mm-hmm. uh, but they don't give you the you raw data. You don't do they, they don't. They extremes. should. They should teach you to the worst extreme, mm-hmm. so that you can at least come down. Because that's mm-hmm. where it is most of the time. Perhaps if they if they dealt with extremes, then anything other than that, you would be ready for. It's different. It's difficult to, to for you to say you're gonna have to drive sixty miles now with the car, and and you train me at 30. Well, because right. at 60, people are driving fast and your reaction time has to be a lot faster mm-hmm. than it does at 30. Because 30, you're just coming out of school zone. You're, trying to, just, you're kind of getting your speed up. I think it's it's completely different. And, I, and let me say this. I love my boys, but sometimes you think, wow, if I had known it was going to be this. Because, I mean, listen, because you're trying to turn your kids into respectable citizens that can mm-hmm. be that can do something in the world. Mm-hmm. And the worst thing that can happen is you feel like that you're failing at doing that. Mm-hmm. That's the worst feeling. That's the that worst. You can that's have the worst feeling that. in the world as a parent, as a dad. And I got and these are my sons that were adopted. Every man wants his son to make him and his mom proud. Every man wants to. Every man wants that. And when you feel like as a father, when you feel Your like mother. you're failing at that. <laughs> I can only speak for me. You, know, right. you guys, I can, I just know. I just know it's very. It's mm-hmm. it'll beat you, it beats you down. And it's crazy because it mirrors the the thoughts that I had as and and I was just a teacher, you know. And not to say the t- teaching profession is wonderful, but what I'm saying is, as a teacher, I felt like they did not prepare me enough. Right? They gave me the the world, the perfect world scenarios of teaching, right? They taught me how to teach reading, how to teach writing, how to teach math on these perfect children who are eager to learn, who are sitting in there and want their stickers and they want me to say, oh, you did so good and two plus two is four, right? Mm -hmm. But they did not prepare me for the extreme case, which is the ones that show up every single day in our class, especially now post-pandemic because they have all of these challenges. That don't want to learn. That don't want to learn, right? The ones that that are always working on a survival brain as opposed to a thinking or a learning brain. Right. And I think that is, it mirrors what you're saying when it comes to like, they prepare you for the the minute things that could come about with a child that has been adopted, right? But they don't, even though they know, they don't prepare you adequately for those extreme cases, which nine times out of 10, ten especially if they have been in the CPS you know what I'm saying, arena, mm-hmm. it's some extra stuff going on. Absolutely. And so yeah. there needs to be extra preparation that goes along with that with, with the people that are taking these kids on because it's not like with teaching, it's a 10-month a commitment. It well, ain't like that with adulthood or with parenting. You know, yeah, it's, this is life. Yeah. Until, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so how do you go about making sure that not only you are prepared, but other people who are thinking about, you know, parenting, um, children who have been exposed to trauma, but how do you go about making sure that they're prepared for this hard work? Because that's what it is. It's, it's hard work. There are all kind of groups 
and uh, things like that that we can, that you can join and be a part of. Mm-hmm. And you kind of take those things for granted, to be honest. Because most people, to be honest, okay, so like my my son's uh, my son has a sister, and we were talking to the parents, and I and they had had their daughter longer than we had um, had uh, had the son, and we were looking to them to kind of help us. Hey. What's going on? How y'all dealing with this? How y'all dealing with that? And they didn't say, mom was the word. They never said anything. The mom didn't. No, well, dad, the dad didn't say anything at first. Remember, he didn't yeah. say anything until later. That's true. And once he said something later, once we were able to talk later, it helped. Yeah. It helped to know some of the things that they were going through. I think, I think, I think everybody to, thinks they're on an island by We themselves. have to get out of this mm-hmm. thing of trying to handle this thing by itself. And you have to, you need as many people mm-hmm. that can speak into that as possible. Mm-hmm. More, the more, the better. That's more about it. And I think that'll help you with the failure part of it if you understood that you're not the only people that are going through that. Yeah, I think that's the biggest part is a lot of people, when we went to um, the adoption anniversary thing, a lot of people think that they're the only ones going through some of the things that they're going through with mm-hmm. the children, whether they're boys or girls. That's right. Because yeah, nobody talks about no it. No one talks about it. Everyone wants to talk about the the flowery part of adopting but no one wants to talk mm-hmm. about the the true challenges that you have with adopting because it's yeah. about i get it it's about the kids I, I do and if they told the truth a lot of times people wouldn't people wouldn't even mess with the kids because you mm-hmm. barely you barely have enough people adopting kids as it is but but you but, but they, they need it but definitely. they need it because but in all in all though they are still kids they are still kids but they have trauma that ain't got nothing to do with it what we're talking about. It has everything to do with it. It ain't got... They, little they're son. Still, little but son. They're, they're oh, whoa, kids, whoa, whoa, But they're kids who have been exposed to... Exposed to things. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And so, in The Explosive Child, which is a book by Dr. Green, he lists a number of skills that behaviorally challenging kids might be lacking, right? And so, we're going to go through these, these skills that they may be lacking. I want y'all just to... Um, think back to just the experiences and the exposure that your children have had and how um, how this resonates with you and how it affected your children. But I also want y'all to touch on how you prepare teachers for the challenges of teaching your child, right, or your children, knowing what they've exposed, been exposed to and knowing what they've experienced before you got them and the things and the challenges that they have. Because a lot of times children who are in the system have severe developmental issues, you know, or emotional issues just because the parents that they were born to were not equipped to handle them as a child. And so how do you prepare their teachers? How do you prepare their the um, principals at their school? Or how do you prepare those people who are um, charged with the care of your children when they are not with you mm-hmm. for the things that they've been exposed to? Um, we are on a first-name basis pretty much now with, with the school in general. And every year mm-hmm. when we meet the teachers, um, everyone goes through their file, whatever. But I think most of the teachers, they, they uh, kind of half read through their files. So we make sure that the teachers are aware that we are we're a team when it comes to the kids. It's you, it's the parents and you, the teacher, we are a team when it comes to dealing with our child because of their, um, uh, what do you call it? The art, the art thing. Yeah, art. that we, mm-hmm. we, we go to the art meetings every year, but every year at the beginning of the year, I meet with the teachers and make sure that they know that we are together on their development and their mm-hmm. learning and, and to call us, write our phone number right now. On mm-hmm. your board because you're gonna have to call us. Mm-hmm. We are. We let them know that you're gonna have to call us. So our kids are those kids. That yeah, you're gonna have to call us. You're gonna have to call you're us. You're gonna have to call us. So. We already know. We don't. Yes. We don't paint a yes. pretty picture yes. that. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is gonna be this nice kid that's mm-hmm. gonna come in your class and gonna do everything you say. He no, he is not mm-hmm. gonna do it. You know, as a parent. Your child, whether they're adopted or not, you know how your child is, mm-hmm. and and we know how our children are, and and you have to prepare people for that and let them know that hey, we're on your side, we're all in this together. But the big thing is to make them let the children know that hey, um, everybody's trying to make you mm-hmm. or guide you in the right direction. And it's funny too because when we go to the schools. 
they automatically think that we think that they're going to be on a, they, they're going to be rooting against our kids. And the first thing we tell them is, "Hey, we got friend, we got friends, friends who are teachers. Who are teachers. We got friends that are teachers. So uh, we understand what's go- what's going on, and we're trying to be as honest as we can while we're while we're talking to while we're talking about our kids. Mm-hmm. And we just want the same from them. Work with us because we know there are going to be some issues. But we are, like Cheryl said, we're all team, and we're trying to get this thing figured out together. And that's one thing, like I, I'm really pushing for and advocating for as far as um, children and students and teachers, because we're in a position right now as educators where we don't have the full picture, the full story of most of our kids, right? Because half of the time, I know when I was teaching. Um, there were maybe in a class of 23, I maybe knew five parents from my students, you know, to where parents weren't just involved like that. And so we needed it to be to where if we say that we are partnering with these parents to make sure that the kids who even if they have been exposed to trauma or if not, if we say that we want a parent to make sure that we are providing the best opportunity for them, right, to meet their level of success, whatever that may look like, then we have to make sure that we give them the supports that they need, that we give them the tools and strategies that they need. But we can't do that if we don't know what they've been exposed to. Mm-hmm. And so a part of, um, you know, just a, a part of my platform is balancing the classroom environment to make sure that healing is taking place as well as the educating. But we can only provide the healing part if we know what it is that they've been exposed supposed to and so I really appreciate the fact that you're saying you're talking to these teachers you're talking to the principals and letting them know look we know our child we know what our children have been exposed to and we know you're gonna have to call us but we want you to know that we are partnering in in this thing Mm -hmm. and and I think that helps because that lets the child know you have a support system around you Mm -hmm. and it's not gonna be all sunshine and rainbows every day but what you do know is that whatever you've been exposed to we're giving you the things that you need we're giving you the tools we're giving you the strategies so that you can come through on the other side successful but successful in your own right right mm-hmm. and so one of those skills that they say that behaviorally challenging kids might be lacking is handling transitions so mm-hmm. shifting from one mindset or task to another so how do y'all um, go about not only like supporting that at home but reinforcing it so that when they go to school they're able to transition set up successfully well the thing first of all they're not good with change mm-hmm and we have to try to keep their uh, the same thing for them each and every school year, whether it's the, the t- same type of child setting, same same type of classroom setting, or, or what have you. We have to make sure that because they're not they're not good with change. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't adapt well when when things are changed. So we try to keep them and the teachers and and everyone else, we try to keep everything generally the same. Mm. Well, as much as we can. Yeah, as much I as mean, they change they change classes and change teachers and stuff every year. Mm-hmm. And, and every couple of years now, they change schools. So it's really difficult trying to get them used to a routine. But the routine you want to get them used to, though, is studying and working hard. Because if, if we can get them to do that, everything else will be, will be a lot easier to them. But the difference is you have certain teachers... And it's not about the teachers, it's about them. But certain teachers kind of pet them. Yes, because mm-hmm. they feel sorry for them. Yes. They blindside them. Yes, right. and when they don't pet them, when they get used to being petted, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. they're not petting them anymore, now we're having issues mm-hmm. because, hey. Because you did that for me back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why you yeah, not doing Listen, I had a, um, an AP when I was teaching that would go into – um, and assistant principal when I would go into they would go into classrooms and we had a student who was when I say like he was the poster child for I've been exposed to trauma I have trauma in my house every day all day and when I come to school you gonna see that I've been exposed mm-hmm. to trauma and he would tear up the classroom he was in the first grade would, I mean, tear up the classroom, rip stuff off the walls, turn over the chairs and tables because he was in a heightened state all the time, right? He was in fight or flight. And when that happened, we would have this assistant principal who would, I call it blindside, you know, the movie Blindside, Mm -hmm. where they're like, oh, I'm going to take all the little black children and I'm going to raise them them and then I'm going to save them. (laughs) And so she would go to the classroom and say, 
um, let me get him all of the other kids who are following directions and doing what they're supposed to do. Y'all need to clean up the mess that he's made and I'm going to take him with me. And she would take him outside to give him his own private recess and she would sit herself on that bench in the hot heat sun and let him play while she sat there. She would take him into her office and let him watch movies and play with Legos and give him candy and popcorn and all of these treats. And she felt like she was doing him a great thing because she was showing him that he was special. Well, why would you stop acting the fool if she going to do that? For Absolutely. You? What you are being trained to do is act a hot mess yeah. because when I don't feel like doing work, yeah, when I don't feel like reading, yeah. what I'm going to do is turn up and tear the classroom up because I know she's coming. She coming. And yeah. she's going to give me my own personal recess and she's going to give me Legos and candy. And I kept telling her, listen, if that is your prescribed mechanism to do when, when he acts up, I can't work here. Like, I can't be a part of this because that's not how the real world is going to treat him. First of all, he's a little black boy. And so when he gets out in this world and he turns up and acts a hot fool, he's going to get either shot at, arrested, and put in jail. And he's going to be expecting somebody to give him his own personal recess and to, and to reward him for the behavior and make somebody else clean up his mess because that's what you're teaching him. And I can't sit by and let you do that, right? So you are not going to blindside these kids up here. You are going to teach him or show him, at least by modeling, that your consequence has a or or your response your how you act has a consequence attached to it and the consequence that's attached to it is not something that's favorable because you're making it seem like if you act up there's a favorable consequence Mm -hmm. and I had to show her and tell her like especially when you have kids who have been exposed to trauma and toxic stress you have to teach them so that they develop this mindset of I got to get it together because the world is not going to bow down to me right like I'm seeing going on in the school building. See, a, a wise woman told me that rewards minus responsibility equals rebellion. Hmm. See, That's good. So she basically set him up. She's setting him up for failure. Absolutely. If he is not learning that what he did, mm-hmm. he needs to go and clean that up. Mm-hmm. He needs to go and fix up his own mess. You know, he's going to later on rebel mm-hmm. once we get through with her giving him all the wants and all mm-hmm. of this and all of that. When he's done and tired of that, he's going to rebel even against her. She's thinking that she's saving him, mm-hmm. but she's doing more harm than good. Absolutely. And that's the whole thing. I was screaming like, I can't I can't be a part of this because I know the detriment that it's going to cause later on in life. And she going to set him up to get shot or arrested because mm-hmm. he's not going to realize that there's consequences for my actions. And that's not what we're about, right? right? When we're teaching kids, that's not what we're about. We're about making sure that they're developmentally thriving academically, but also socially, emotionally, right? Mm-hmm. And so on this list of challenging things also is a poor sense of time or not being able to, to do things in a logical or sequential order, um, considering the likely outcomes or consequences, their, their impulsiveness, right? This is a part of the impulsiveness because they don't think about the consequences to the actions. Let me see. We've had what impulsiveness? <laughs> what what do we have? That's that's what the, the ADHD the is. The impulsive. The, so the list is we've had. Let me see. Swallowed a couple of quarters. Couple of quarters. A couple of quarters. I guess you're trying to make really change. Just doing things in the spur of the moment. Uh, let me see. A couple of quarters, and we had one. To what did Jody do to that camera? He took a. He thought took a pencil. He thought it was a, like a pencil, uh, pencil sharpener. sharpener. And he but took the it, teacher's camera. But she camera had a GoPro in her, her, in her on her desk, which she probably should not have had in the first but place. But that's not what we're dealing with. But we're I talking know. about our son. But she, he <laughs> stuck he a pencil. And every, everything that looked like a hole on the camera, he was jamming the pencil in it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think she's still looking for us trying to get money for that GoPro <laughs> camera. She's now. not oh, getting Lord. money. She's not yeah. getting money. Yeah. And uh, let me see. What else? So, oh. And uh, he they will take he'll take stuff. They won't, and they'll think about the consequences later. Mm-hmm. We had a guy that come over to the house. It's funny. So the um, you you move in a area to where the schools are better, and you think my kids are going to do better because the schools are better. You mm-hmm. hope. Well, <laughs> no, no. My thought was. This is one of the best schools right. in the country. And you're hoping that they'll get some kids, of that rub off. My kids should be better. Mm-hmm. And they fight it like I'm trying to give them a bath or something. <laughs> but then that goes back to the nature versus nurture, right? You're thinking that because 
I, I'm nurturing them and I'm putting them in a nurturing environment to where they should be successful and everything that's around them is pointing towards their success, but they're still dealing with the things that they were innately born with, right? The things that they've been exposed to prior to even birth, right? Like during conception, like the things that their parents were exposed to. Because remember, while they're being carried by their their biological mother, the things that she's exposing them to, the traumas and the stresses mm-hmm. that she's that she's taking on is also impacting them. And so although you're putting them in an environmental space to where they should thrive, you should automatically thrive because you have everything that you could possibly ever need or want. And we're giving you that, but they're still dealing with that innate ability. That's why um, the book, The Body Keeps the Score, regardless of what you give them, their body remembers and recalls everything that they've been exposed to right after conception right Mm -hmm. and so you're fighting against that and the problem is is that you don't know what the that is you don't know what it is that they're that you're fighting against right i have no idea because you because uh, i think i stated this earlier that we're trying to give them the stuff that we thought that we needed Mm -hmm. when we were young Mm -hmm. oh the better schools the better the the we stand together. We got two parents in the house. We thinking, oh, you got one up on everybody. You, oh, you gonna be somebody? Mm. And they're like, the more we try <laughs> Man, to get them, we don't want that. The more we try to get them out of that <laughs> that that slop, they keep uh. running back to it. We are trying to give you steak and potatoes, and they won't slop. Mm-hmm. And, and ramen noodles. there's not there's not. Listen to me. There is nothing more defeating. When it's like I, I know what you used mm-hmm. to. I know I know you you got some trauma issues, but what, at what point, as a parent, do you say, "But this life is better"? Mm-hmm. This is what we're trying to offer you. It goes back and, to you trying to get them to trust you that mm-hmm. you have their best interests at heart, mm-hmm. and they're continually trying to do what. It That's is. true, and, and it also goes back to something that we talked about um, last week. I've talked about with my co-host about how trauma impacts attachment, right? And last week we talked about the attachment as far as like adult relationships, but that also lends itself to parent relationships, right? Because um, an attachment is crucial to a child's mental health and to parenting satisfaction. But the effect of trauma on a child's behavior can impact a parent's ability to attach and bond with the child. And so you're thinking, I'm giving you everything that I know that you need, but they're not receiving what you're mm-hmm. trying to give to them, right? And so mm-hmm. they get into this um, feeling of either being anxious or anxious, anxious preoccupied where they they have a significant fear of being abandoned. Even mm-hmm. though you've proven time after yeah. time after yeah. time that I'm here for you, you know, me adopting you is the first step of letting you know I'm not going anywhere. Like, mm-hmm. this is permanent. Mm-hmm. But they still have that fear of being abandoned and they need to be validated constantly. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and although you try to do that as far as being a parent with somebody in trauma, they may not necessarily um, understand the things that you're putting in place to say, I'm here. Mm-hmm. As I'm here, they mm-hmm. still may feel like they're being abandoned or even if they're um, in a d- dismissive avoidant type of attachment style where they they avoid getting too close to you because it's like you say you my parent. Yeah, but you might uh, might abandon. But me. you might abandon me like my biological mother. Well, you know, did. it's funny, too, because uh, not only do you adopt them. Not only do you adopt them, but they have to adopt you mm, as well. Right. Yes. They have they have to embrace you. Yes. Because we're constantly trying to get them to see us as, as we, mother and we father. We constantly mm-hmm. we constantly trying to do that. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm noticing lately that they have to embrace us because if mm-hmm. they don't, they just this just a boarding house. Yeah. It's just somewhere that they stay in. Yeah. And yeah. we and because you come up with situations and stuff and you believe, and you think, man, I thought we were better than that. No, no. This is the boarding house. They never, mm-hmm. they've never accepted us as their parents, and so, and it's surprising because that's when when they need something, they'll come to us. But when, but they won't allow us. To, they don't want us to parent them mm-hmm. because they feel like we got parents already. Mm-hmm. So just it just makes it it just makes it really difficult. Well, I mean, it just so. it, that reminds me of of when we adopted our our first son, our oldest son. How when whenever we get ready to go somewhere, he throw all his stuff in the bag. He put it in the car and, mm-hmm. and try to take, take it. Try to take it with us because mm-hmm. he was thinking that he was just physical to another because he had been wow. in three different foster yeah. homes, right? So he wow. would think that he was just getting ready to go somewhere else. No, son, no, you don't have to take it. This is your room. Mm. You know, we had constant. It's, it's almost like a 
a constant reminder. It's a constant reminder that you have to do with with them because we, you understand that they've gone through something. A constant reminder that we got you. Mm-hmm. You know, it is it, is is crazy. It may sound crazy, but it is what it is. You have to constantly remind them that hey, we got you. We're mm-hmm. your parents. You know, and that's that fearful avoiding attachment style, right? They mm-hmm. they crave the attention and love that their new family is bringing them mm-hmm. or their new parents, but they, at the same time, they avoid intimacy on their part because they're like, if I become too close, this might not be for real, for real, right? Mm-hmm. I might have to go somewhere else, like because they've been ex- exposed to that beforehand. And it reminds me of like my students when I know that like I got them because I always test them, like. You know, when you here, you mine. Like I'm your mama when you in my in my class. When you're at school, I'm your mama, and you got to do what I tell you to do. Blah blah. And as soon like if I start that off at the beginning of the year, I know not to say that at the beginning, like not day one, right? But like about four weeks in, I say that, and a lot of them be like, "You ain't my mama. Like you can't tell me what you." And I'm like, mm, "They not That's ready. Much, yeah. They ain't ready. We don't mm-hmm. have a connection yet." And and connection is like, especially when you connect to protect, right? is the first thing that you have to do as a teacher, as a parent. You have to connect with these kids to make sure that they understand regardless of what, like, you belong and, and we're not going nowhere. Like, stuff is going to happen. It's going to be some ups and downs. But regardless of what, you belong here. This is your place of residence. This is your place where you learn. This is your space. And so maybe about the seventh or eighth week of school, I tried again. I was like, you know, when you here, you know, you mine. I'm your mama. You got to do what I say. And they be like, you know, she, our mama, y'all. They tell the other kids. They be like, we got to do what she say. And that's when I be like, oh, got them. You know, that's when I know there's a connection. That's when I know that they realize that regardless of what I ask you to do, I'm never going to ask you to do anything that's going to hurt you or someone else. And if I ask you to do it, it's for your good. And know that there's nothing that you can do that that can make me say, like, you're not, you don't belong here. Like, you don't belong. Now, I'm going to get upset about some things and you're going to do some dumb stuff and I'm going to tell you about it. But, you know, when I go off on you, it's on a go off in a in a sense of love and trying to make sure that you understand that this is your space. Like this is your mm-hmm. space. So you're going to get corrected here and all that kind of stuff. And that's, and that's difficult to deal with when you've been in a spot like people who have, or children who have been exposed to a lot of trauma and toxic stress or who've been adopted to where there's not been something that's been solid or like stable in their mm-hmm. life to yeah, where yeah, it's always a transition. Right. So, so let me say this. I think I said earlier, if we had known what we, what we, if we had known back then when we adopted them, uh, whether or not we would have, whether or not we would have did it, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that goes, that's that's kind of double sided. I think, uh, I, I think at the same time, I don't think that we were educated enough on what they were going to to be ad- to adequately be to parent them. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about them when I say it; it's about. I think we needed some more. We needed some more support systems. We needed some more education. We needed. We needed some more stuff to be able to parent them like they needed to be parented. Not the fluff. What? Well, yes. I'm yeah, just yeah, saying, yeah. Yeah. Not I'm, the. And that's the because I don't want to put it. I don't want to put it all on them because we we decided that we wanted to adopt them. They didn't call us and say, "Hey, are y'all busy today?" Because we need to be adopted. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Just wanted to get that out. So before I get to the Through the Eyes of Trauma Takeaways, I want you each to leave our listeners with something that they can take with them. What advice would you give them or what words of wisdom would you give them um, regarding adopting and adapting to children with trauma? Well, I I would say if if this is something that is truly... um, what you believe that you should be doing and and because we're believers and if this is something that really God has really assigned you to do I mean I would pray about it number one um, and if the Lord leads you to do this it, it is rewarding it is challenging yes it is challenging you will have your challenges even with your own children then it is also rewarding to to know that you can see even though they've had their traumas 
their life could be a lot worse. Mm. You know that you've made a difference in their lives. You could see there are times where you can see what you have poured into them. You you can see the goodness within their hearts, that that their that true goodness that's within their true nature, not you know looking outside of the trauma that they've gone through. So I, I will say that if, if if this is something that you truly believe that you can do, I mean, do it. Okay, well, so I would, if I could leave you guys with anything, it would be the more information, the better. I think before, uh, in order for you to do the type of the, the type of job that you're going to want to do with with adopting kids, um, that could be coming from, and this is what you have to understand. You have no idea what the, what trauma is like to the kids and what they've been through. Right. So educate yourself as much as possible. Uh, find support groups. Find people that that you can talk to that have been in it, that have gone through it, mm-hmm. because it makes it easier when you can refer to somebody and say, "Hey, let me tell you what he did today." today. And they say, "Well, no," because I remember when I remember this. I'll make it quick. I remember when uh, uh, they when they when they would use the bathroom on themselves, and the guy says, "Well, they do that because that's the only thing they can control. They can't control anything else." So if they Put if they put boo boo on the wall, the pee on themselves constantly. That's the only thing they can control. But that's what they that's what they do. It just makes it easier when you have people like that in your corner rather than trying to figure that out for yourself. Because think about coming home from work after after you're tired and sitting there in the boss been riding all day and you got feces on your wall and you like Lord, why has thou forsaken me? I'm just I'm just saying that's funny, but I'm just saying it just makes it easier when you have a reference to somebody that you can go to and mm-hmm. talk to about, hey, what's going on with them? So mm-hmm. if I can leave y'all anything to be that, there are never too many people for that village. You need a village of people with that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And with that, I'll leave you with the Through the Eyes of Trauma takeaways. If you are in the thick of parenting a child exposed to trauma and need a quick reference guide of what to do when you have reached the end of your rope, Listen to the following tips. Number one, self-care. Put the mask on yourself. Your sanity and your energy are the most important thing you bring to your family and to this challenging child. So you must find a way on a regular basis to recharge. Number two, find your tribe. Like John was saying, when your battery is dead, you need to connect with a live battery to recharge. Who is your live battery? Who can you connect with when you are in the trenches? Who will understand and support you? Find those people. Number three, learn. Knowledge is power. The more you learn about the forces that shape your child or your foster child or adopted child and you, the better you are able to cope and to raise this child. Learn their interests, their triggers, their experiences. That gives you a better picture of what you need to do to support them. Number four, be easy. Cut yourself some slack and your child. You are doing the best you can, so just be available for yourself and for your child. And number five, heal first, educate always. Be a safe space of support and understanding during your child's developmental years. Thank you so much, John and Cheryl, for being here on our podcast. We really appreciate your insight on the things that um, go with adopting and adapting to children exposed to trauma. So thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for having us. Uh, Help. Okay. (laughs) And if you or your organization are looking for professional development through trauma-informed and resilience-focused practices, please visit us at innerearagency.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-E-A-R-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.